Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. And today we're going to talk about triggering on the ventilator. Now, given the ubiquity of the word triggering in contemporary discourse, I must confess that I do find it indeed quite triggering to walk up to a ventilator and see the pressure support set at some kind of god-awful number like 11 or some other horror show like a peep of seven. I mean, I, I just don't know who does these things. But let me be very clear, we're talking about a very different type of triggering on the ventilator here. If I was on a ventilator uh, and somewhat engaged in the process of respiration, at least at a brainstem level, I would feel much more content if the ventilator cycled to inspiration whenever I requested it to. Indeed, I would also find myself greatly contented if said ventilator didn't randomly produce new inspirations any time it detected the slightest change in airway pressure. All of this plays a part in ventilator triggering. So let's start with the basics. So the ventilator can be triggered to cycle to inspiration in a number of ways. So number one, time. So this is in the case of mandatory ventilation, and in fairness, this is not really a trigger as the patient has no input into the decision and um, the breath is mandatory. Number two, a pressure trigger. So the patient must produce by themselves enough negative pressure in the circuit to trigger the vent to cycle into inspiration. And thirdly, flow. So in this scenario, the patient must produce a certain amount of inspiratory flow in the circuit to trigger the ventilator. So my experience has been overwhelmingly with the ubiquitous servo uh, ventilators found in many ICUs in Ireland. And on the servo eye, when you scroll through the menus on on a pressure support mode, you'll see a a dial for trigger. Um, This dial is defaulted to a flow trigger, um, which uh, a number that you'll see on the screen is a dimensionless number and runs from 1 to 10 based on a proprietary software from McKay. The more clockwise you turn the knob, um, the lower the flow in the circuit the patient has to generate and therefore the easier it is to trigger inspiration. Swing it all the way to the right then, so clockwise for the poor patient with um, Guillain-Barré syndrome who really struggles um, to trigger the ventilator. As the dial is turned left or anti-clockwise, then the trigger will magically switch from being a flow trigger into a pressure trigger and you'll actually see numbers measured in centimetres of water. These define the negative pressure in the circuit that has to be generated before the vent will trigger a breath. Thus, flow triggers are generally easier for the patient and pressure triggers harder. But when or why would you ever want to make the trigger harder for the patient? Typically, it's not actually that you want to make it harder for the patient. It's more that you want to avoid auto-triggering. So a good example of auto-triggering is commonly seen in the patient who has become dead by neurological criteria. And the story at handover may well be uh, this patient has had a devastating brain injury um, with some hemodynamic instability. They've lost pupillary and cough reflexes. um, But the trainee at handover notes that brain brain death cannot have occurred because they are still triggering the ventilator. Uh, And again, on the McKay servos, you'll see a little pink line either on the pressure or the flow scaler suggesting that the patient is triggering the the breaths. In this scenario it's quite common for the ventilator to be auto-triggering due to the minor fluctuations of flow within the circuit caused by the substantial cardiac oscillations of a hyperdynamic circulation. So typically people who've undergone brain death or in that process um, often really do have quite a hyperdynamic circulation and the movement of the heart within the chest can cause enough flow within the circuit to trigger a breath. In this scenario, simply switching from a flow trigger to a pressure trigger typically eliminates these auto-triggers. Alternate sources of auto-triggering can be things like big air leaks, in the case of a bronchopleural fistula, or if you've got a poor um, seal somewhere, um, and even you can see it with a waterlogged circus, uh, a waterlogged circuit, where you can kind of look at the vent tubing and you can see that there's a meniscus of rained out water oscillating back and forth in the tubing, and those oscillations back and forth can be enough to cause auto-triggering. 
Failure of triggering um, is also very common. Um, and in this scenario, there has been a neurological trigger um, that may even have initiated some diaphragmatic contraction, but it was missed by the ventilator. So in other words, the brainstem is saying, take a breath, the diaphragm may even be responding, but the ventilator has not picked up on that. Um, an esophageal balloon is probably the gold standard here, um, and you can use it to see if there's been any negative deflection on the balloon, and is that negative deflection in the esophageal balloon matched by a breath from the ventilator. In the absence of an esophageal balloon, and, and let's face it, pretty much all of us are in the absence of an esophageal balloon, we have to use some surrogate markers. Um, it's hard to detect, but in some patients you can actually see a negative deflection in the pressure waveform that is not matched by a breath. Um, this may be a patient trying to trigger, but feeling. Um, the flow waveform is similar, but this time we're looking for a positive deflection um, of the expiratory slope. Um, and there are some nice pictures in the multiple references at the end of the post rather than me trying to describe these things um, via voice. While it may seem inconceivable to many, um, there is always the option of actually examining the patient. Um, and things like a hand on the sternoclastoid muscle or a hand in the tummy um, might make patient-generated effort easier to recognise. And what you want to see is every time the patient generates something, does the vent follow? Intrinsic peep, auto peep or gas trapping, um, it can be a really common cause of a field trigger. So let's say a COPD patient um, uh, is emerging from a propofol and fentanyl-induced haze for the past three or four days, um, and let's say they've got a pneumonia. So they're transitioning maybe from a mandatory mode of ventilation to a spontaneous mode um, as their respiratory drive increases as the sedation is weaned. Unfortunately, their obstructive lung disease is still an issue, and the expiratory flow has not returned to zero before they try and take their next breath. Air is still exiting exiting their body at a certain flow and pressure, so they need to generate enough flow and pressure to reverse this gas in the circuit in order for gas flow to move from expiratory to inspiratory limb to allow the vent to recognise a trigger. You can often see this as artefact in the flow waveform. There is an interesting technology called NAVA, or Neurally Adjusted Ventilatory Assist. This involves a fancy NG tube that is placed in the distal esophagus and it picks up electrical signals from the diaphragm. This is then connected to the ventilator and allows the ventilator to know with a high degree of precision when the diaphragm is contracting and it can match the beginning of the breath to this. So in other words, you're able to match up um, the neural um, trigger for inspiration with the mechanical trigger for inspiration. So even if the diaphragm is weak and ineffective, the NAVA can pick up the neural signal to breathe. Like most such things, it's been tricky to bring to widespread practice and trials showing significant um, benefit are certainly sparse on the ground. So moving on from field triggers, there are two more concepts to discuss. One, um, firstly, is double triggering, and two will be reverse triggering. Um, these can often actually look quite similar at times and are often mistaken for each other, but are actually really quite distinct. So double triggering can be see, seen when neural inspiration is longer than mechanical inspiration. In other words, the patient wants to take a really long, drawn-out breath, um, a really long drawn out inspiration but the vent for any number of reasons has cycled the expiration before the patient has finished. This will be particularly common in, in a partially controlled mode of the vent where you've tried to set a small and a safe tidal volume um, but the patient's brainstem is having none of it and wants to take a litre and a half at the time. The second one, um, reverse triggering, is a much more recently described phenomenon and can really be quite subtle. It is usually seen in deeply sedated patients undergoing a control mode of ventilation. And in this scenario, the vent triggers the breath itself 
based on the set program. Like any other mandatory breath, um, say it's on a time cycle or whatever, um, the patient is passive, a breath is generated entirely by the ventilator. During that mandatory breath, the diaphragm itself becomes activated. So the mechanical breath, the sorry, the mandatory breath has actually gone on to activate the diaphragm. And so as soon as the mandatory breath is over, the vent senses that the diaphragm is now active um, and the diaphragm is induced to flow change in the circuit and it cycles back into inspiration again. If you have something like NAVA or an esophageal balloon, you can see the diaphragmatic activation um, on the actual traces. And without one of these, it can almost look a little bit like a hiccup. Um, in addition, you can look for a mandatory breath followed by a triggered breath during the expiratory phase to give you a clue that this is going on. Um, as always, this is by no means a comprehensive review of triggering, but hopefully a little intro to some um, potentially very examinable to topics. Um, in terms of reading for this, there's a number of good papers. One by Georgopoulos, my apologies for butchering the name, Control of Breathing in Mechanically Ventilated Patients, European Respiratory Journal, 1996. Um, there is a good mechanical ventilation course ran by the guys out of Toronto, and Laurent Brochard has a very good lecture um, on that about ventilator triggering. Uh, another one... Um, by Drez et al., Monitoring Patient Ventilator Asynchrony in Current Opinion Critical Care 2016, Ardikas in Reverse Triggering Dysynchrony 24 Hours After Initiation of Mechanical Ventilation in Anesthesiology 2021, and another by Otto um, et al., Patient Ventilator Dysynchrony in the Intensive Care Unit, A Practical Approach to Diagnosis and Management in Anesthesia and Intensive Care 2001. Okay, thanks for listening. Speak to you next time.